Hello and welcome to Touchline from myself, Kasper Els and Mark Cameron. Very welcome. Mark? Hi, Kas. Nice to be back on show. Uh, it's interesting topics that we have tonight, today. Um, also the specialist um, guest that we got in studio from a coaching and a playing perspective and I'm looking forward to the show. Yes, definitely. Um, tonight here in the studio with us, we've got um, Donald Nguenya. Donald currently works for the Sharks as the coach's education supervisor. Donald's got 25 years coaching experience at various levels, ranging from schools, clubs, junior provincial and national level. Donald is also currently the head coach at UKZN Varsity Shield Team. Hello, Donald. Hi, Kasper. Hi, Mark. Welcome. And then we also got Jack Severs. Is that right, Jack? Yes. Um, Jack's a Glenwood High School boy. Um, he played in various sports at school level, which includes rugby, cricket, soccer, water polo, swimming and athletics. Jack also played for the school's second team, and he was part of the first team squad for two years. Um, Jack played for the Belito Dolphins for a couple of years. He also went to Crusaders for a year and then back to Belito Dolphins. We played first team for them. He was also the backline player of the year for three years in 2015, 2016 and 2018. And Jack has now moved to a Mums and Toti rugby club. Welcome Jack. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome. We're talking about scrum offs and fly offs. What, what is a scrum offs' primary function in the game of rugby, Donald? Well, <clears throat> for me, um, obviously, he's the guy who touches the ball mostly, most more than anyone else on the field. So he's the chief distributor for me. Um, so yeah. you'll be looking. Um, at sharpness in you know and accuracy in his pass, um, he's also um, a, um, a game manager if you want to put it that way. Uh, so he needs to manage the game with the, with the fly off, make the right decisions for the team on on which parts of the field to play. Yes. Um, and then um, so there you're looking at his kicking game. So that would be okay. very important if he's got a, a good box kick um, for both defensively and, and in attack. So if you need to clear your lines, he can relieve the fly-off of the pressure on that when you're attacking so you can kick those contestables for your, for your wings to chase and, and you know, you, you try and win the ball back and, and play off that. Um, and then lately we've seen in the modern game, you see he's also must be a very good defender as well. He needs to be able to organise your defence and, and he needs to... Um, he, himself be a good defender in terms of um, where, where, where he stands. We saw what Faf did for the Springboks yes. in, in, in the World Cup, you know, so he was one of our main defenders, you know, he can just come off the line and spot tackle, that, that kind of thing, you know, so, yeah, I'll say those are the functions you, you, you'll need, you need from, for, for a scrum off. Okay. Jack, from your side? Oh, I'd say more or less the same, really. He's a key link between um, your forwards and your back line. Um, so, you know, a lot of people like to say he's a little general um, of the forwards. He gets the forwards moving. 
You know, it's really important to have key communication, have a crisp pass as well, so you can give your flower off um, good distribution. Um, I'd say also need to be a bit, you know, you need to be quick off the mark. You've got to be nippy. You've got to be able to break the line as well. Um, strong on defense as well, especially in the modern game. Um, kicking game as well. You need to be able to kick off both feet, not just, you know, not just the one anymore. Um, yeah, so that's about just it. From a communication point of view, um, if there are backline calls or phase play, is either one more often than not, that one would go to to inform the forwards what the backs want to do and vice versa, or has that changed over the years, Don? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'll say his main function there will be obviously talking to um, to the forwards. Um, your turn is the, is the guy who will probably make those calls in the team perspective, and then he just translates it to... Okay, so nine will relay. Yeah, relay to the... Yeah, to to the forwards. And, on, and on would he would he then? And also, Mark, well, mm. vice versa as well, like off a line out. So the backs need to know where that ball will be going, whether it's middle back or, and so you know the backs can make the right call mm. of whatever the forwards will be doing if they're gonna mow or if they're gonna you know whatever play they they'll put mm. up there. So the backs need to know that. So nine needs to relay that to the. To the backs as Perfect. Well. And in defence, both of you are talking about how important the nine's role is in defence, and obviously he himself has to have a good defensive game. Um, would he be part of your defensive discussion, if I can call it that, where he calls the shots, or would that come from the back line or the forwards, you know, in general play? Um, we look at Faf, where Faf in the World Cup ran basically ran a second line of defence behind the, behind the back line. But when it comes to certain areas, let's say closer to your, to your try line, um, would you then have your nine in the line to defend or out the line to defend? And does, is he the one that calls your forwards closer to the breakdown? Yeah, I'll have him in the line um, when, if you're defending your line. That's, that's, where, that's where you'll need him. But you, you also need him to have the vision to see you know, where, where you need help. You know, like mm -hmm. if you outnumbered in, you know, maybe on the one side, and he can organize that as well. So he's, he, he, he's he, his role um, for some um, for some teams. It, it, it you know it depends on your game model and what on, on the way you you def, you you defend and 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 the way you attack. I I, I saw um, with the, um, with Ireland. You know, they actually they use a nine in the in the backfield. You know, mo in mostly we use the ten and the fifteen. Mm -hmm. You know, like in the back yeah, three. Yeah. yeah. So you you find him in the backfield. So it it was him and 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 that uh, Kenny, Rob Kenny. So mm -hmm. they 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 was it Lamo? I think yeah. So they monitor that that backfield. Mm -hmm. So it depends on 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 how you play the game. And Jack, do you find it difficult as a nine to control that defensive line as to firstly when to come into the line, when to get players maybe your 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 tights closer to the breakdown or is it easy because obviously a lot of times you clap and you shout and whatever they don't necessarily respond to that. Mm. But it's a prime function of yourself to try and control that. Yeah. Well, I think you just got to try and be as, as loud as possible. The clapping and the shouting, you know, that's to try and get their attention because a lot of the time, you know, especially at ruck time, you know, forwards, not just forwards, backline players, you're tired, you're ball watching, you know, you're not looking up, 
watching what's going on in front of you. So especially, you know, if we're not in, let's say, off, on a five meter where I'd have to be in the line, you know, a slight little pull on the jersey or a tap on the shoulder to bring that mm. guy, you know, make him aware, mm. um, it helps. But, yeah, it, it, I don't think it, it's not that hard. You know, the louder and the more vocal you are, the team, they hear you. They do. And Don, just uh, quickly on the box kick, you referred to that. That has crept into the modern game quite a bit over the last season or so. Um, Jack referred to a, a, a nine hopefully being able to kick off both feet. Um, you don't often find that, but yeah. obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a plus if you do. I know Fuff is a, is a left footer for argument's sake. Would there then be, just for the listeners out there, would there be a time, even if it's a, a, a a 10 or a 15 kicking for touch now, would there be a, a time where your left foot comes into the four sooner than your right foot? Does it really matter? Yeah, it, well, it, it, so, like you said, if, you're, if your nine is, can only kick with the one foot, and so you need to use an alternative foot in, in, in that area of the field where you need to use that. Um, so especially when you're clearing your line, if you if you saw it with the sharks, they used um, Esther Ezen on the left side because he had a big boot with his left foot, so they would use him to to clear the line on when he, you know when they were on the left side of the field because uh, most of the nines couldn't box you know from there. So yeah, so obviously left, depending uh, on your foot that you kick yeah, with, that's the side yeah, of the field an, that you would be. An alternative foot it comes in very handy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if we if we go to the number ten. What would you say is number 10's primary function? And then bringing it into the, the connecting with the, with the number 9. Well, for me, he's, a, he's, a gener- he's your general. Okay, so, so would you then say he's the most, well, I can't say it like that, but probably your most influential player on the field. He, he, yeah, I would say that um, he will control most of your game. Um, you know, he makes m- most of your calls. Your your team calls if you want to call that and where where you playing how you manage so game management for me for a ten is is the most important thing obviously your his core skills must be very good as well his distribution his kicking and and, and all that but uh, uh, decision making is very very cru- crucial for for a ten because um, if you look at your set plays. I mean, if you play off a scrum or off a mall or off a line out, most teams will have like maybe three options you can play off that. So he has to pick one in an instant on what what he sees in in that instant. So he has to be very sharp in in that situation to pick the right one. Would you then have, if you say there are three options for argument's sake, would would there be a call to say, let's call it one, two, and three? Um, would there be a call where the rest of the line would know he's going to do one, or would he just react to it and they would follow, or how would it work? So you have the general call, but the team would know that there are three options in this. So it can be any one of those. So then it's he, he makes the decision then at the time to... Say a backline move, for example. So whether you might play short or you might go back door, you know, or skip something like that. So, so the call, the call stays the same. same for but there yeah, are three but options. Then the three options, and, yes. and he's the one who needs to see where the space is and 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 which you know which one he picks at that time. Obviously, that is practiced at the training field. So of course, yes, yeah, you drill it. So you condition the defense mm. so that you know he 
he's able to to pick out with where the space is so that when it happens it gives so he basically creating a picture for him mm -hmm. so when it happens in the game it's nothing new to him it's something that he's seen before mm -hmm. you know yeah. and at training obviously yeah. you'll have your different scenarios we exactly. have to come. Yeah. perfect Jack? As, a, as a 10, how would you control that, though, if you were a 10? That's why you're in studio, because you can play 9 and 10. Um, so now you've moved roles to, let's say you started at a 9. Can I ask this question yeah. first? So let's say in the game you start at 9, hmm. and your coach makes a change halfway through the second half. Now you need to play 10. Obviously, your thinking is slightly different. Um, firstly, the first question before we go on what we've just discussed is, um, is it easy to change positions specifically like that in a game um, where you obviously haven't given it a thought yet, like pre-game or whatever, so in the game it happens? Is it an easy conversion for yourself? Yeah, I don't really, I don't think about it at all, to be honest. Um, you know, I've got experience in both of them, more at 10, you know, playing from school levels, only out of school where I really moved to nine. Um, so the transition, it's 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 pretty much it's it's easy because at all times on the field, you know, I'm trying to f see what's going on, and you know, moving to ten, you know, kind of see it as a positive, as well. It's further away from the game, I get a wider perspective mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah. so John, Don, just from from uh, a coaching perspective, we have a prime example in South Africa, Ruan Pinar, that can play nine, ten, fifteen. Um, from a coaching perspective. Is it obviously it's a plus to have a player like that on board, but at that level, how difficult is it for a player at that level to change? Obviously, your pressure is more the higher you go up international rugby, wherever you play. Ruan is one of those that actually played very well in any of the positions that we and we even played him on the wing. So, as a coach, um, do you think they adapt easily? Or are they very reluctant to move? Um, is it the easy thing just to ask them to move? Yeah, I think um, at that level, they're professionals, you know, so it's, it, it wouldn't be anything new to them because they, they would have probably trained it as well in those positions at, at, at trainings and, and stuff and been put under, the, you know, under pressure in that position. So I think at, at, at the international level, I think the transition there shouldn't be much of an issue. Maybe in the lower levels, it might be because, you know, it might be something new to, to the guy, but... Um, uh, a guy like Ruan would have how I many how many test matches has yeah. he played, so he understands the pressure, and you know you it's easy for him to adjust. Just at international level, you you see it more often that a fly half will move to to fullback or between fullback and fly off, or fly off and inside centre than what you would see a fly off move between scrum off and fly off. Um, I think Ruan Pina is one of the very few in international rugby that actually moves between. Mm. fly off and, and scrum off you, you would rather see them move in in different positions why would you think that is well it's it's his skill set you know he's um it's what he can bring to the game uh, ruan is a very 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 talented uh player i mean um he, he look at the at the levels he's played at and the and and i mean they He's played overseas. He's played Springboks. Mm -hmm. You know, he's played for the Sharks for many years, and so he understands the game. His, his game sense is is, is extremely, um, you know, is quite up there. Yes. Yeah. So that's why he can he can he can do that. Okay. You know. So he's he's just got some some players just have it. 
you know, it's a natural with them, and he's just yeah. one of he's, those. I think he's, he's one of the very few yeah. that can. Yeah, yeah, and and if you look at him, he's got the physical attributes. Yeah, he's exactly. got the skill levels to perform. I mean, his kicking game in itself, mm. other than his passing. I mean, you nine, you expect to pass well, and it is ten, with both uh, with both with your hands, hands um, kick off both feet. Um, but he's 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 a big guy. You know, his physical attribute, he defends well. So it doesn't matter where you put him. I think he'll even do well at inside centre if you put him there, you know. So. I'm sure he will. Um, if I think about it now, you're looking at international level. We can start with Henny LaRue that played yeah, both way positions. Back when, when it started. When it started. Um, you can think about a Matt Gitto, a Stephen mm. Larkham, and, and there's a host of other names, international level, that were absolutely brilliant rugby players that moved between fly-off and inside centre. But very few... Very few, and I think Juan Pino is basically the only one that I can think of now that moved between Scrum Off and, and Fly. Now, Jack, you mentioned that for you, it was an easy transition. You, you don't even think about it. Why do you think that is? I think I'm just comfortable, to be honest. It, and it just comes, it comes naturally, really. It, it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, the more time and space you give me to think, the more... You know, it's a little bit more calmer on the field there. And it's always, especially moving from 9 to 10, I kind of already, I've got a feeling of what's going on and how the defense is pressing and all of that. Yes. So, yeah, I, I just don't read into it. I just play, do what the team needs, and, yeah, I just carry on. If you come closer to home, Saneli Nwamba is a prime example. Mm -hmm. He's a little guy. I mean, he plays 9. Obviously, 9 is his primary position, but, I mean, he's played Curry Cup or Curry Cup mm. and Super Rugby already for, for Sean at 10 mm. as a cover. Um, and he's a small guy, but he's a, he's a brilliant, his he's brain capacity to read a game and to see what's happening and his distribution skills are phenomenal. So it's possible. Now, now that you mentioned that, um, you mentioned Ruan Pinar being physically big and now you've mentioned um, this guy being small. What would, Donald, what would you say is the physical attributions of a scrum off that you would look in, look at. I'll I'll say strength maybe. Um, size for me really is not a factor. Whether it's tall or it, you, you get some yeah. tall scrums, Conor yes. Murray for example, then you get a short scrum off like Sanelo or, or, or Faf. You know they just as just as good. Um, so strength that I would say is one. Like, you you don't, you don't need to be big to be strong. Yes. Okay, you can be strong even if you're short you know, small. So that's, that's, I think that's one thing that they will need um, to be strong, to be quick, uh, to be able to, obviously, I think they cover, they're one of the players that will cover quite a, 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 a distance on the field to get to the breakdown and all that. So they, they will need that and endurance, you know. So those are the things I would say a, a scrum of full need. Um, and a strength, especially when also defending, because sometimes they have, they have to they have to tackle some props or or locks around the fringes, and you know, or if he's if he's playing a sweeping role, which some teams use a, a a line break, it might it might be a big center who comes through there, you know. So he has to bring that guy down, you know. So he needs to he needs to be strong enough to to do that. Okay, and then and then a, a fly off. If you would uh, look at a fly off, what would you look for? Um, high to be an advantage, but not. Not a prerequisite, I'll say. So if you get a, 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 a tall, tall fluff, if you look at maybe like a, um, this, maybe an Owen Farrell, but yes. you also look at Richie Mong, 
you know you, you understand so yeah. it's it's not really high it's not a, a prerequisite but high to be an advantage if we but the core skills still remain um, massive you know and, and and strength as well you need him to be able to you know if he's tall and he can be able to offload in contact and things and things like that and put guys in space okay cuz and but a, a, a smaller guy like Rich Mango is a good ball carrying 10 you know and good distribution and he knows how to pick guys off the it it really doesn't make a difference i think you know? a lot of that a lot of that from a coach's perspective um, depending on your game plan where you want to go what you want to do i mean that's where you select your 10 as well i mean some some coaches want their teams to take the ball up. Mm. Some coaches don't want their teams to get involved. So in theory, you don't need a big ball carrying ten then. Exactly. Um, the modern game is moving more towards a physical. Pollard is one of them. Farrell is one of them. They can take a ball up all day, and it doesn't matter. A lot of coaches don't want their teams to to die with the ball, if I can put it that way, because they want the ball to come out mm. for the decision maker. But the game has changed so much now that there are so many decision makers on the park exactly. um, that it actually makes life easier. And that's why from a physical, not that he's not physical, but Sanelli for argument's sake is a small guy. You can put him at 10 because you're not really going to ask him to take the ball up. He will find people next to him that will take the ball up. So your coach mm-hmm. will work around um, certain abilities of the players on the park to mm-hmm. do that. I think the concern might be, Cassie, um, when he... When you come to defense, maybe, you know. So if he has to defend in that channel, if he's a smaller guy and a, you, you're getting like a Lamape running at him, you know, yeah, or an Esther is, and yeah. so that becomes a sort of a concern. If he's will he be able to to make the tackles? So, so that's why maybe you'll be looking at a guy who can like an Owen Farrell who's, who's Though his technique is questionable, <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. Okay, Depends so who, who, whose yeah, eyes you looking at? Yeah, so who can? Okay, I mean, I, I, if I, I was watching that rugby or or whatever they call it, Bjorn Barrett is not the best defender. No, there is, yeah. I mean, seriously, he's, he's not. He look at how many times he yeah. ran over him when they played the Blues, yeah, played the, the Hurricanes. He's, he, but he's just one of he, he's one of the best tens there yes. is. You know, he, in in attack, but in defense, is is not really great. But I mean, Cass, it's easy from a coaching perspective because on attack, if you've got one of the best attackers in that specific position, let's call it Sanele because of his size. So you put him there. In defense, if you know they're going to hit that channel, all you do is you just move that guy out and you put your mm-hmm. 15 in because Sanele will be good in the high balls at the back exactly. and his kicking game is good. So all you do is you just manipulate your own team to obviously pick up where the opposition is going because you'll pick it up within the first five, ten minutes in the game where they're going to channel and you just change it. Um, Jack, I want to ask you, um, you're now saying that you, you, you move from nine to ten or ten to nine without any, any issue, if I can call it that. Um, what would you say is your physical attributions that makes it easy for you to do that? My mindset, my mind, just the way I see the game. Pure mindset. Mm. Now the next question we, in in discussing some of the other positions, the previous positions and and, and the forwards, some of the coaches mentioned that uh, some of those players in those positions are born to play in that position. Would you say that's true for a number 10, a number 9 and a 10, or for a number 9 specific or a number 10 specific, that that player is actually born into that position? Yeah, I mean... 
I mean, you see it. You, you see it in the trainings uh, with specific players um, that it just comes naturally to them. You'll you'll see a ten, a natural ten. He just flows. You know, when you're doing, when you're running those ghost um, moves and yes. everything at training, and you've got those um, dusty at Crusaders. He used to have um, quite a few nostrils where you get your mock defenders in front of you, and um, you've got to actually you start off with your backs against each other, and you've got to turn get a ball and then when you start turn around and start attacking again your defense has changed in like a split second so you'll you'll see there your natural ball carriers and whatnot and often your tens they just they glide through and that will be the natural general if we can call it that behind the behind yeah the yeah just the vision okay i think sometimes um you obviously find that that those are well, you know and it starts at primary school where your dad played a specific position and the youngster plays in that position because that's where your dad played. Um, but I think as you go older, um, there's a definite switch in where you could be. I mean, 12 and 13 is a prime example. It's, they're right next to each other, but they, you have to have different skill sets to play there, and we'll cover that in the weeks to come. Um, but from a coaching perspective, Donald, we, we've seen that over the years. Let's say like Jack now, he will get to a club and start playing and while he's playing touch rugby for argument's sake or you do specific drills and you see she's this guy actually distributes well off the deck um, better than another nine and you say well have you played there before no we haven't so a coach plays a massive role in player development and player skill sets and, and how you go forth with that um, would you would you agree with that and how would you find you're a good person to to scout that's why i'm asking this question um, how would you go about that? Because what Jack says is, 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 is true. I mean, a lot of the positions are like that. You're either born into it or you're not. Um, but sometimes there's an underlying little thing that a coach picks up that changes that person into becoming a better player in yes. another position. Yeah, I, I definitely. That's why we coach, isn't it? It's, it's, to, uh, it's to just develop the players to be the best they can be. So... Um, Obviously, you 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 look at them and and see what at their skill set on, on what he has naturally, and see how you can make take him to the to to the next level and make him and make him uh, the best he can be. Um, yeah, so although sometimes players are reluctant to to switch positions, yeah, because they used to play yeah, there. Yeah, they, they used yes. to. But as a coach, you might see something you know in them that they they themselves don't see. And it, it has to be a two-way. You 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 have to sell it to him and 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 make him realize what he what he could be. So he he might be limited in this position the way he is, but the the world you know it's might might be might bigger for him if he if he switches, you know, and 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 he goes to what he's naturally good at. Hundred percent. I mean, you you just go back to Springbok rugby of yesteryear. Pierre Spice is a prime example. He's a big guy. He used to play wing. Exactly. And then his coach said, time to move to eight. And I mean, he was a brilliant eighth man. You know, good distributor, good ball carrier, massive pace. So that's a prime example. Yeah, I mean, if you look closer to home. Close to home beast. <laughs> yeah. He was an eight, eight. man. Yeah, <laughs> when he came in, uh, he was playing eight man mm -hmm. when they recruited him. And would he have gone... He played 100 test matches as an eighth man. We've got a hooker at the Sharks that moved from wing to hooker. Yeah, <laughs> so it does, does work. What would you say is the 
the main or the ultimate difference between a, a number nine and a number ten? If you look at number nine and ten, what's the what's the difference between those two players? Um, difference. Um, uh, well, for me, both of them are your are your decision makers. Okay, um, I'd say for the ten is is, is a better is a better view because he's, he's standing back. Okay, because the nine is more, most of the times is is down and and clearing and 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 you know he has to be listening to what's coming from. I say the ten will be the the guy who makes the most decisions because he's standing back and and he's got a better view than than what the nine the nine sees. You know, so he needs to be he the nine needs to be hearing a lot from 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 the ten who who can be telling him which way to go. Not not taking away the decision making. Um, Role that the nine plays, you know, like hitting your forwards coming around the corner. If you if you're playing maybe that kind of game, coming, you know, which guys to pick and 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 and, and which you know which whether to to play short or play wide or in those situations. So I'd say that the the difference for me will be decision making. I think what's important as well with what Donald's uh, referring to is as obviously your decision making is a massive role, but your ten has to be vocal. He has to talk the whole day um, because he's obviously the one that tells everyone what's going. He relays it to the nine. Nine speaks to, but he's, he's mm-hmm. the one that scouts to see what's happening in front of him and he makes his call, but everyone needs to know where they are. So 10 has to talk the whole time. Mm-hmm. Jack, what's your opinion about that? Moving, moving from 9 to 10 or from 10 to 9, uh, what would you say, what's the, the main differences that you have to adapt and adopt to 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 become a nine from a ten or a ten from a nine i think changing from nine to ten you know in the ten position like we've mentioned um you control the game you're running that game so it's a lot more responsibility um a lot more pressure to deal with and you're also you're dealing with different personalities on the field as well you know, like everyone, everyone's different. So when O's are tired, you know, and you go and you tell a guy, listen, you know, it's all about game management as well as player management as well when you're on that field. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know, I'd say that's that's about it really when it comes to the differences. Looking, looking from, looking at the game from from outside, you normally see the number nine as that little terrier that's nipping at everybody's heels. You know, yeah. that that little oak that pulls and tugs and nips the whole time and, and, and you see a number 10 as, as being almost reserved, hanging back and um, watching the game and analysing and, and being being reserved and, mm. and just controlling. Um, is it difficult moving between those, I almost want to say personality traits, moving from 9 to 10 and 10 to 9? It can be, especially you know when you're in quite a bit of a, a heated game. It's very hard because you know. I mean, you've you've got to stay calm. You, as a ten, if you've lost your head, that's it. Yes. You know, you've got to withdraw from the situation, not get involved at all. Um, any of that offside things. Um, yeah. So it all depend for me personally. You know, on that type of game. But I mean, when you're making that switch to a ten, you already know. All right. Listen, I can't do this, and you got to stick. You got to stick to that. You know, you got to. I think it comes with discipline and. The more you play, you start to understand okay. yeah. yourself a little bit more, and yeah, yeah. But I do think I think your ten has to be level-headed. He mm. is the calming factor in the back line. 
because if he you know if he's put under pressure and he rushes things or whatever your whole your whole game plan will go to nothing because he's the decision maker at the end of it donald was referring to him as the general and i mean it hasn't changed since 1901 it's still like that but would, mark would you then say that it that's the reason why it's it's easier for for most number 10s to move to inside center easier to inside center than to move to to a, a scrum off role uh, I'd say so because in in the modern game, I mean, we use the 12 as decision makers as well. That's why yes. you've got the Owen Farrells that can move. Um, because, I mean, that's that, I think for any coach, that is the ideal uh, scenario to have because now you've got three decision makers next to each other. Obviously, they complement each other, but there's still one, and that's your 10. Your yeah, 10 yeah. still has to take. So Owen Farrell, for argument's sake, will play 10. And I'm speaking from my own opinion now. I can't speak for, for England for argument's sake where he does play. Um, the captaincy will stay with him. But when he moves into the 12th position and Ford comes on for argument's sake, then Ford has to take control of that game. He can't control it from, from 12. But I think to have three decision makers there um, is actually brilliant. And we did it in the 95 World Cup when Henny LaRue moved to 12. Um, so it, uh, I think it has its benefits. Uh, but I think your, your, your 10 has to be a very strong, has to have a very strong personality as well because when he calls something, he has to stick with it. Because you do find most of the younger, in the younger age groups, the kids just want to run. Um, and there's set phases that you need to play and the coach gives an instruction that 10 has to do something in a specific area and that's where you need to stay. Mm. On, on that, Cassie, it's, you, you must also remember nine is a, a certain skill set that's also required. Correct. which um, most teams might not have. It's not easy passing a ball off the deck yeah. and, you know, it might look like you can cook, but you, the nines have got that kind of skill set to do yes. that, you know. So to move from, say, 10 to 9, um, it's easier to move maybe from 10 to 12 because, you know, Correct. you're basically moving. It's just decision-making and, and running lines and things like that. But the skill set that you need for, for a 9, maybe a, a 10 might not even be able to box kick, for example. Correct. You know, he can kick off offhand, but not necessarily be able to, to box kick. So you need, it, a nine has got a certain skill set that's required for that position. Yeah, I think it's, it's a specialist position. Mm -hmm. um, same as prop is a specialist position. But I think nine, you know, uh, maybe the listeners can, can um, relate to what I'm saying now. But um, if a nine doesn't have a strong pass, he passes a loop ball. I mean, that puts 10 under pressure. And at international level, you only got a split second to make a decision or whatever. So the worst passes that come to you, that's your worst decisions that are going to go out. That's as easy as that. So that's why you will find a nine that passes off both ends hard to the point where it needs to be. I mean, when you want to kick with your left foot, there's a specific place in front of you where you actually want to receive that ball. You can't catch it above your head and then try to bring it down. Nine has to be pinpoint, and you can go and practice this at home. You will see, go and put a ball down on the deck and get someone to stand and put it in their hands off the deck. It's a lot more difficult than mm -hmm. standing up and passing into someone else's hands. Nines, and I agree with Donald, I think the conversion would probably be easier from nine to go to ten than the other way around. Mm -hmm. So then we can say that a, a number nine is born into that position. Probably. Personality-wise, being that little mm. terrier that nips the whole time. And a number ten, then basically the same. 
it's also a personality trait to to calm yourself mm. and to to calm the whole no, the definitely. whole game. But ten has to be and calm. It's just as easy as that. He controls it. We've learned of the passing of Yosef Murat. Yosef was born in 1928. Something interesting that Yosef turned 91 years old on the 2nd of November 2019. The exact same day that the Springboks won the World Cup in Japan. He was also a big Springbok supporter. Remembered and respected as a leader in the sphere of life. Yosef was also a very keen clubman at Vineyard's Rugby Football Club in Paul, where his family was founding members of the club in 1944. Yosef's played for the first team there for 14 years, and he was club chairman for 27 of those years, 27 years. He also coached at the club, and in his time in coaching, they won some silverware four years in succession. Yosef was also well known in the pigeon racing community, where he served as the president of the South African National Pigeon Association, and he received springbok colors in that sport. Our condolences to Yosef's family and friends. We don't we don't often give referees um, the accolades that they that they deserve. Um, you know, referees. If if you look at a rugby game, a rugby game won't be able to take place without referees. Yet we are very negative towards them. But one referee that has that has stood the test of time is Nigel Owens. He is going to be officiating in his 100th Test match in the November series. Um, Nations Cup um, you know Nigel Owens as I said will become the first referee to officiate in 100 test matches when he takes charge of the France versus Italy game he made his debut 17 years ago when he took charge of the Portugal versus Georgia game in 2003 and I think you know if you if you speak to players worldwide that have been in a game where he referees a game, um, I think he's one of the, I won't say few, but uh, one of the, definitely one of the top referees um, and where they can actually relate to him. And you see that in the World Cup, you see that in whatever game that he refs in. Um, I know that we don't often often say positive things about a referee, but uh, Don, as a, as a coach, um, you know, we bring it home, closer to home, and there's always question marks, but he's definitely one of the few. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's, uh, he's well respected as well. Uh, you, quite a, you, you hear a lot of players, uh, they, t they talk well of him, and um, you, I, it's, it's not a, a job, a thankful job being a referee. We, <laughs> it's difficult They get the pressure from supporters, players, coaches, they get it from everyone, and he's just the one man. Uh, I mean, with the, if you include these ARs as well, they, they, he's an individual against maybe a whole team. If you look at it, and and they do a very a very good job. That's you know that's not often oftenly uh, um, recognised, and 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 
um, I think um, it's, 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 you know, it's something that we, you know, we need to work on um, as players and coaches, and, you know, to, to have a good relationship with, with the referees. It's very key yeah, for the game. Um, and it's, as I said, it's not an easy job. It's a difficult job. And, and you know, more so, 100, 100 test matches alone, we're not even talking provincial games or club games and that over 17 years. I mean, that's a, that's a massive achievement. It is a massive achievement. Just, just something that Andre Watson once said, a story that he told us um, about being a referee. One of his first games that he blew was down in, in New Zealand. And as an unknown referee, he was on the field and he, he blew the game and he thought that he did very well. And after the game with a dinner, he saw all the players going to this one old man and everybody greeted him and everybody respected him. And eventually he walked up to the old man to try and find out who it is. And he found out that it's an old uh, New Zealand rugby player. And he asked the old man, don't you recognize me? And the guy said to him, no, I don't. Why? Who are you? He says, no, I'm Andre Watson from South Africa. He says, oh, so what are you doing here? So he said, I was the referee. So Andre asked him, didn't you watch the game? He says, no, I watched the game. I'm here to watch rugby, not to watch ref. So I think in today's modern game, we put way too much emphasis on the referee and, and not the game. Um, I took what Andre said to heart. I don't watch referee, I watch rugby. But an achievement like this from Nigel Owen is definitely something to be proud of. Mm. And, and to stick the test of time and to be able to, blow, to, to um, officiate 100 tests is definitely something to be proud of. But, I mean, if you look at, if you look at most of his games, I mean, it is flowing. You yes. wouldn't really say there's a referee on the park, but he's stern when it needs to, needs to be. He, he's, he communicates well with the players. And you're right what you're saying, Donald. Um, there's a lot of respect from the players down to the referee, which is important. Another thing about him as well is he does a heck of a lot of uh, community community work yes, he as does. well. He does. Um, you know, and as a, as a person of his stature, to do that, and a lot of it, the community work that he does is free of charge. You know, the professionals, they, there's always money involved. Um, but a lot of that he does, he does absolutely free. Mm -hmm. so you can tell from his experience, he, he, he actually doesn't take nonsense as well. He, he tells the players off on the field, you've had his comments. The whole world's waiting for his comments. Every game. The next but, Facebook meme. But, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you look at a player, Jack, yourself now, I mean, I won't say he's the ultimate referee that you'd like because there are many there that, that actually officiate quite well and they aren't the focus point in a, in a rugby yes. match. And, I mean, that's what you want. But ultimately what you want, you want a, a fair referee to ref what he sees and to be fair both ways. Yeah, and consistency. Mm. 100%. Yeah, so if he's, if he's weak, for lack of a better word, in one area, you know, it must be consistent. You know, so if he's, if he's blowing a certain thing, say, at the breakdown for your side, you expect him to do the same mm -hmm. for the opposition then that way, then it's it, the coaches don't won't won't complain because they can see that's that's a, maybe an area that he needs to work on, 
and that's they, they, something you can discuss after the game. And, and obviously, they also have um, um, coaches, the referees have coaches and all that. There's something that they will go and discuss on their own and, and, and see where he can improve in those areas. So consistency for me is, is something that's important. No, I agree. And I think, mm. I, I think if you want to get players frustrated on a field, it's the inconsistency of a referee sometimes. Mm. And, and, you know, uh, he might see it differently to a player or opposing coach or whatever. Um, but as you said, if it's consistent, and, and a lot of the referees like, like Nigel Owen, he actually communicates to the players as to what is going on. Some referees are just blunt to say, walk away, I don't want to talk mm -hmm. to you. But sometimes it's, uh, let's, let's look at a scrum for argument's sake, where a prop keeps being penalized and he's not sure what he's doing wrong. The only one that can tell him what he's doing wrong is the referee that's on the park at the time because he is penalizing him. True. So it makes sense. It does. It does make sense. Then uh, some more good news, and, and, it's, a, and it's a good one for, for women, for women's rugby. lady by the name of Joy Neville will become the first female referee to perform TMO, which is television match official duties, when Wales play against Georgia and then Scotland play against Fiji in the same tournament in the Nations Cup. Um, I think that's also a massive feat for, for lady referees out there. Obviously, she's refereed in a, in a few games in the Women's World Cup and so forth. Um, but from a, from a TMO perspective, to hear a different voice and, and a lady's voice and to give the ladies that opportunity to extend their careers, if one can call it that, because obviously if you can't referee anymore, you might go into a TMO position or so. But for a lady to do that in, a, in the men's side, I think is quite phenomenal. It is phenomenal. Um, she actually officiated the, the Women's World Cup final in 2017, um, which was quite, quite significant. And with World Rugby and South African, Saru's focus on, on women's rugby development, I think this is, this is good for women's rugby worldwide. Yeah, it's <laughs> when you're talking about women's referee. It's it's it's, it's it, that's that's a, an amazing achievement. Uh, yeah, that we at home we Amy Barrett is it? She's, yes. Yeah, I mean yes. she's also done really well. Yes. And she's um, she has done, yeah. yeah. She was on the touch touchline yes. in in, yes. in the super fan uh, yes, games was, over yeah. the weekend, and she's really done well. It's yeah. someone we, we can look yeah. up, look to. I've actually got a, a, a nice story to tell to tell about. Uh, Women's referee, the stereotype that just to show what they go through, you know, it's difficult for them because there's also a stereotype. Correct. I mean, rugby being viewed as a men's game, and so um, this was a school game, um, you know. And <laughs> my captain, when we we were discussing just before the toss, he was going to go do the toss, and and we were discussing the, the, what we want out of that toss, and. And so this lady ref comes, he was going to ref again. He looks at me, he goes, oh, no, a woman, you know. <laughs> so I, then I said to him, well, what's wrong? He says, a woman coach. And I'm like, okay, okay, why don't you give her a chance? Let's see, let's see how she goes. Don't judge her by, you know, yeah. that she's a well, woman. Yeah. Yes, exactly, definitely. let's see how she does in the game, you know. It, it's, then we played, she was actually quite good. Yeah. Then I went to him afterwards and I said, you, you need to go. <laughs> <laughs> say thank you. <laughs> say thank you. Cause she, I said, what did you think? I asked her, I said, what, how did she do? He says she was very good. I said to him, you actually need to go and say thank you. Yeah. And you know, sometimes, and, and that's a sad reality, not only in rugby, I mean, any sport, in any walk of life, 
um, certain things one feels is, is a men-dominated sport, for argument's sake, like rugby now. But, I mean, if you look at worldwide, how it's developed, I mean, they play sevens, they play fifteens, these these international teams, I mean, they are just phenomenal in themselves. And whether you referee a ladies' Springbok New Zealand game or a men's Springbok New Zealand game, you can argue probably to say it's more physical and quicker mm-hmm. maybe and so forth. The rules stay the same. Mm-hmm. The referees need to be at the same level. They need to see the same. They need to ref the same game. So, um, but I think I think it's it's magnificent for for rugby specifically, and then obviously for the ladies that that mm-hmm. are making their mark. It is. If you look at all the other levels that ladies are involved with, in 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 the rugby, um, we we use them as as administrators and as secretaries and in in many cases as coaches. Um, why can't they be at this level? Why can't they officiate at this level? I mean, it, it's just a no-brainer. No, I agree. I mean, we sp- we touched on it last week where we said um, in the World Cup squad that we had now in, in Japan, um, how many ladies on the yes. administrative side, if you want to go, support staff that we had there. Yes. Um, then you look at the other World Cups that are going to take place now where the ladies are going to go to how many they are going to be so it, it's just right that we, we we give them the opportunity to go because i mean and let's face it some of them we've we've seen some terrible referees um at club games for argument's sake and and, and some of these ladies surpass them by far so they do. how else do they go up in 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 the world of rugby if they don't get opportunities same as players players 100%. get seen they don't get opportunities, mm-hmm. and that's uh, we'll touch on that just now when the green and the gold play each other on the weekend. Um, there are so many youngsters in those two sides that have barely played provincial senior rugby, but they get given the opportunity at that stage to show what they are capable of for whatever happens in the future, and that's just the right thing to do. If these, if these are all done on pure merit, then... There's no ways that you can shoot it down. Absolutely no ways. If this lady is better than her male counterparts, then it's got to be there. No, great. I mean, all you want is fairness at the end of the day, regardless of who sits there. 100%. And then that brings us to um, our South African rugby that have finally uh, taken to the field. Um, The guys played in the the Super Fan or the Super Hero tournament on the weekend where the Sharks played against the Bulls and the Lions played against the Stormers. Um, and I think from a, from a spectator point of view, it was awesome to see South Africa back on the park. Um, I think the coaches, some of the coaches, uh, eyes probably open to see what, what has happened in, in COVID, um, similar to overseas when, we, when, when it started overseas. And the first few weeks was some teams performed very well and some didn't. Um, so... I just want to touch on, and Don, you can maybe come in here, um, touch on the Sharks-Bulls game. Um, I know one mustn't, one mustn't read too much into, into a pre-season game, if I can call it that. I mean, Sean Everett gave, gave a lot of the youngsters um, extra time, if you want to call it that. Obviously, coaches look at that specific game differently. Um, if you look at the setup between the games, um, the, in, the, in the Stormers versus Lions game, the Stormers made a full team swap at halftime for argument's sake, where Sean didn't do that with the, with the Sharks for argument, because coaches obviously have different reasons for doing certain things. Can I ask, what do you think 
as a coach, would a coach get out of, you can mention all these games now, but if we can, let's work on Sharks specifically for now. Um, what would Sean have seen as a coach, and, and maybe not quote him now, but you as a coach, what do you get out of a game like that if, you, if you're obviously planning? And, and I bring in the Sharks specifically because in Super Rugby before COVID, we were right at the top. Everyone is talking Shark Rugby. And now the spectators look at what happened on the weekend and they go, what has just happened? Obviously, there's a reason. As a coach, you'll know. As a coach, I know. But for the, spect- for the, for the listeners out there, how do you think that would plan out? Okay, yeah, we, we must um, look, look at, the, at the game in its, in its merit. Um, obviously, the Sharks didn't have quite a number of their experienced and, and, and senior players in there. I think if the back three was the normal back three, the Bulls kicking game might have come to question in terms of Apelele's counter-attacking abilities. Maybe that could have discouraged them to, to kick, you know, and that kind of thing. So... Um, I mean, Manny Lebok is a is a talented player, but he's he's, he's a specialist. I'll say ten maybe. Um, you 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 know, if you look at the, in in that perspective. But uh, talking about, I think um, Sean didn't go into that game with the mind of of a of a win per se. He's he's looking at um, ahead in terms of of growing depth of his squad in terms of uh, of if the if if the Springboks go play a rugby championship, for example, and then he loses quite a number, and with because you mentioned it, the Sharks uh, were doing very well in in the beginning, so there's this feeling that they might lose quite a number of guys into the into that Springbok team. So he he needs to know who, who's going to step in into into in, into into those roles when those guys leave, and because we we we've got our own competition to play, which is which which matters. I think you you will see a different Sharks team when when the competition starts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, pre-season you know, games yeah. are always like this. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, the spectators, um, with respect to everyone watching the game, spectators don't necessarily want to see what they saw on the weekend. More so, if you look at the score for argument's sake. You know, you go from being great pre-COVID to being very poor post-COVID. But um, I, as a coach, personally myself as well, pre-season, I always always say. Don't worry about the score. Coaches want to look at combinations. You want to see who's who's done their off-season work during COVID lockdown. Um, so there's many things to, to, to play for. So I conquer exactly there's, what you're saying. There's just two things that stood out for me. And the one was um, the sevens players, the, the specialist seven mm. pla- sevens players that came into this game. And I want to name our number 14, Werner Koch. Um, I was delighted when we signed him. But... If you look at his game this Saturday, um, he he didn't fulfil his duties as a as a number fourteen. He played around the fringes and he left gaps at the at the back. And Don, you mentioned Moni Lubok. I mean, he he actually exposed him in the sense that he wasn't there to to help defend the back because he was out of position most of the time and. And now you're playing against a fly half like, like Stain, who's got all the experience in the world. That guy with just one glance, he knows exactly who's where on the field. And he, and he exploited it. And then the one try that was scored on the outside, um, that was also Van der Kock's side. Mm-hmm. 
he was also not not in position where he was supposed to be and he played a typical sevens type style game don't you think that was also part of i, I mean that, that, that's 14 points there was 14 yeah. points in it purely look, from being out of position look i I hear you, and, and a lot of times it is like that. Obviously, they are seven specialists. Um, I mean, you look at Ciabella Sinatra from the Stormers. Uh, a year or two ago, when he stopped playing sevens, he was out of it a little bit as yes, well because they need to adapt. Yep. So in sevens, you've got more space. If if you slip a tackle in sevens, you can probably catch the guy again because the way they defend in 15s, you might be caught in a ruck or whatever the case might be. Yes. Um, but... But their skill levels are at such a high standard that uh, it, you, won't, you won't see that in the Curry Cup or in Super Rugby when it starts. I mean, we go back to when England toured South Africa, when Jacques Nienaber and, and Rassi took the Springboks. Look at how New England exploited our defence patterns when we tried to get it. And defence, unfortunately, is something that you have to practice and practice and practice. It doesn't happen overnight. And then when we find it, it took us a year and a half, we got it right in the World Cup. So I think it's, it's for the sevens to come into 15 game, it, it's obviously there's a change in attitude. What we couldn't fault him on was his work ethic. 100%. So that he brings to the yeah, party. He does. So the other things, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's also, if you look at centres for arguments, like in a defensive pattern, now you bring a new 12 on and the 13, they haven't played together. So that communication, yes. there's, there's so much to it. Um, the Sharks, unfortunately, were, were disrupted with quite a few, and I'm not making excuses, but were disrupted with quite a few injuries and players not yes. available and so forth. But I go back and I, and I, and I agree with what Donald is saying. Um, personally, if, if I was the coach, I wouldn't read too much into it. Because it actually means absolutely nothing in the in the yeah. bigger scheme of things. There are players that will be available in two weeks' time when when the Super Rugby starts. He would already have an idea as to who he wants to fit yeah. in somewhere. Um, this weekend might just have been a, a, a final decision maker for him to see. Let's take Werner Koch. I mean, that doesn't mean that he's out of it completely. No, definitely not. He might just need a week or two just to fine-tune certain things 100%. to play there. Yeah. So I don't think it's a massive issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it looks like a massive issue because of where the Sharks were pre-COVID and where yes, they are 100%. now. And, and with all due respect, if you look at all the teams that played on Saturday, we were probably the team right at the bottom. Yes. But uh, the warning, don't read too much. In the the, the, uh, the in second thing that I saw, sorry, Don, the second thing that I saw is literally the bounce of the ball. Like in literally the bounce of the ball. There were so many up and unders and so many kicks that went to ground that nobody took out of the air. And it literally ended up the bounce of the ball. And the guy scored tries out from that in, in both games. Yeah, but you know, coaches, coaches try different things. Now, if you look at a typical Jake White game, it wouldn't have been what we saw on Saturday because he's more of a structured guy and kicks and, and, and so forth. The Bulls played expansive rugby. A lot of our kicks were poor kicks and they obviously counted. Yes. And I mean, they've got a few very talented players. Um, so, and, and I think, I think just the, the mere fact that a Jake White is a Bulls coach with the players around, the players want to play for a World Cup winning coach. Um, they want to see what he has to offer. He's, he's very experienced and whatever. And, and you could see that. Um, I think some of his plays changed compared to what we are used to and 
how he coached when he was at the Brumbies. But it's all good for South African rugby at the end of the day. I think it's actually quite brilliant. But it will be different when the when Super Rugby starts, guaranteed. Yeah. You, um, I think uh, we mustn't also take anything away from the Bulls. They, they no, definitely. They played they brilliantly. Really, they really played well. I mean, they, they, they more I mean that, that pack is... is it's it's an amazing it's a good pack and and what's great about it they've they've got a backline to it you know normally a bulls team will be recognized pack team and uh, yeah just playing sort of a kind of a 10-man game but now they can bring in these speedy backs and skillful backs in into play i mean if you look at that backline that they had i think three four of those guys were X sevens players, and so they got speed, they got pace, they got skills. You know, they can, they understand space. You know, and that's you. Yes. You, you saw that turnover that Kedley uh, uh, Alice has scored. Yes. yes, I mean in a, in their well, own no, twenty two, they ended up getting. Yeah. yeah, that's just understanding space. You know, and you know what we do in a situation like this, and 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 good decision making. You know, that's. But I mean, definitely. isn't that brilliant for South African rugby? If you think of all the talent that was on display. I mean, a lot of our senior Springboks are playing overseas. So we're looking at these youngsters coming through. Some of them played SA schools the other day. Now they're playing at that level. Yes, one can argue that it actually didn't mean anything because it wasn't a proper competition. But they're still playing against the best provincial players that there are in South Africa at the moment. Well, if you look at a guy like um, Dan Duplessis, um, the space that he found that weren't there, I mean, he went through spaces that mm. just didn't exist, yeah. and he scored scored a try off one. Mm. No, it's I mean, amazing, it's brilliant, and, brilliant, and and, and that's mm. what I'm saying. You know, from a South African point of view, if we look at all our and and it's not only South Africa. I mean, New Zealand and Australia. After World Cup, you have an exodus of players. Yes, um, but I think we are blessed with players from one to fifteen um, at all our um, franchises in South Africa. Um, and I think we will see that come this weekend when the green and the gold play against each other. You know, so uh, I, honestly, um, you look at you look at the five clacks of the world that is that is playing overseas, and you look at the nines that we have in the country. We spoke about Pollard that's that's injured. You look at the tens that are that are coming through. We spoke about Robert Priya that is playing at Sale Shark. So um, there are so there are so many. And then, obviously, a, a, a massive excitement in South African rugby taking place next weekend would be the green versus the gold, the Springbok green and gold. Um, one thing that, that stands out there, obviously, Sia, Sia is, the, is the skipper for the green Springbok green side, and our very own Lucanio M is the skipper for the gold side. Um, but other than them, there's so much talent there, and, and listening to what the World Cup Springboks have to say with regards to they can't wait to take field, because obviously... Um, Super rugby that that we had the super fans weekend this past weekend compared to that rugby there's much more at stake than your provincial rugby. Um, al- although um, they would have all gone through the same drills, they probably the same game plan. What is also interesting here is that Rassi Erasmus is, is opposing Jacques Ninaber. So, from a coaching point of view, Don, do you think there'll be a few? tricks up their sleeves or we will just see normal South African free-throwing rugby or what do you think? Yeah, it's it's, it's quite exciting and um, I actually watching when they were doing the the draft or the pick if you you can see I think they've got 
they've got uh, they've got plans for each other. They do, <laughs> yeah, so plans. they're gonna bring they're gonna bring an, an exciting element into into this game. Uh, uh, it should be interesting to watch. Um, for me, what's uh, um, what stand out nicely is you, you as you mentioned earlier is the is the, is the 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 talent that we've got that 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 has been given an opportunity to play in you know in in this game the young young guns if you yeah, want to call yeah. you want to call them that well, are coming speaking of young guns there's a yeah. there's a whole squad that was that was selected that went to Cape Town now to train with a box yeah. um, I mean I look at our very own Pepsi Butelezi he didn't make the the final cut but he's part of those young guns that are there. And yeah. I think, as I said, it's, it's absolutely awesome for South African rugby to see the youngsters coming through from all over 100%. South Africa. But also, if you, if you look at these, these two teams that were now picked and, and the 30-man squads that played in the, in the fans' day, the amount of players that we have there that can play at that level and the, and the age ranges of those players. I mean, ranging from 20 years old right through to to the old men. 30-odd. Yes, 30-odd. Um, I think that that's just phenomenal for South African rugby. I think I think more so, if you look at all the injuries we have, more so at the lock position now and at, at fly-off. Yes. Obviously, everyone is now saying Elton Yankees at 10. Um, he might be the one because he's the more senior one there when, when, when you look at it like that. But I think Damien Willemse would want to have something to say there. Then you look at, as we said, Robert Dupree overseas. But I think our, our biggest problem currently probably is, is the lock position. We've got three Springboks that are injured. Um, and, and some of them, like the Etzebets, I mean, he's got a rib injury. But I mean, Archia, Archia he's out yeah. for six months, I heard or so. So yes. um, they'll all become available just before the lines mm, hit yeah. our shores. Um, now, but this is important for Rassi and for mm, Nina yes. to see who is at stake if you, now. If you now think about the next World Cup for Jock to go to, um, and you think about all the players that are currently overseas, playing overseas, I mean, you're talking about the sales Sharks, and the, that's basically a South African side. Correct. Um, if you look at all those players and the names that are in that side, and you look at these sides that's been picked now at 30-man squads, and the names that came through there, then we must we must be able to pick a side that can actually go to the next World Cup. We have to. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll be yeah. able to defend it. Yeah, Mark, you were talking about locks. I'm I'm not actually overly concerned. I think we yeah, we I think we just find we are good at producing locks. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at Jason Jenkins at the Bulls, he's he's. He's, he's an offset. J.D. Shekling at the at the Stomers. Mm -hmm. Those are really good yeah. logs. Yeah. We yeah. You look at Tyron Andrews and and uh, Ruben Van Heeden here at the Sharks. Those are those are those quality players. These are quality I think, players. I Definitely. think they just need an opportunity to also prove themselves. You know. So I think they can get to the, to to that level. And yeah. that was the sad part. You were talking about the how well, they cherry picked between Jacques and 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 Rashi, um, the green and the gold. Um, and, you know, if you look at the squad that they had there initially um, and then they selected certain players, some of the players that were left out are world-class themselves. Oh. You know, it's, it's, it's not a Springbok side as such, but, I mean, if you look at everyone that's playing overseas and you look at our, you know, I don't want to say the B team now, um, but these are the overflow, if you mm -hmm. think about it like that, and there are still quality players that have been left out that aren't part of the 225-man squads. You, I mean, it's Mark, if you look at the, at the initial 
92 names that they that they named to pick from which they then um, reduced but that initial 92 names if you go look at that list you can probably pick two Springbok sides out of that 92 that will be able to to go and play against any side in the world I just think the most exciting thing for us is when we'll, we'll see it on the weekend obviously it's a different level um, it's definitely not international rugby but it's, it's higher than what we saw the past weekend yes. Uh, the exciting part here is to, to watch the youngsters come through. And I go back to Sanele Noamba. I mean, that youngster is Uzo's quality. He's a small guy. Um, he's, he's one of the guys probably in world rugby where people look down at him to say he's too small to play mm -hmm. at that level. Um, but given the opportunity, given where you are and whatever's going to happen on Saturday, I think he will definitely put his hand up because they also know that there's a good possibility that these guys can, can actually make the Springbok side. And everyone, we, we might not go to the, to the national championships, obviously. We're, yes. still, we're still not sure. But everyone wants to be in that line squad when it's announced, when the lines arrive. Mm -hmm. And our youngsters, I can tell you now, I think there'll be a few surprises because I think Jacques Ninover and, and Rassi Erasmus will see a few youngsters picking their hands up and we'll see the display come Saturday. Yeah, you know, for me, what's great about it is it's... it's this didn't happen by chance, actually. You know, Rassi and Jacques and, and SA Rugby, they, they planned this. They, they've been monitoring these guys since they were 16. 100%. You know, yes, so it's yes. a program that they call it the EPD program. Right. And they've been looking at these boys from school rugby since they were 16 and monitoring. And they have these camps yeah. that they have in Cape Town. And, and they go, there's constant monitoring and feedback and and seeing where, where and, and, and the franchises have actually come into into play as well by giving them yes. opportunities to play, you know, in 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 high class uh, rugby games, you know, so which which bodes well for, for yeah, Rassi, Rassi mentioned a number of about two hundred and forty youngsters that they've been monitoring now for the last couple of years mm -hmm. um, coming in and out of the squad. So they've they've been looking at about a two hundred and forty youngsters constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got, uh, I think, and, and, and fortunately for us, I was going to say now, our, our biggest concern is to keep them in South Africa. Yes. Um, I think that is part of it. But, you know, the other half of me says I think they need to, if, if we can open it up where we can select from overseas-based players for South Africa as well, I think it would actually, it would bode us well to, to, to find a, a proper pick. Um, I mean, if you look at how many youngsters there are playing overseas that haven't played for South Africa, yes. that are still eligible. But now they play there and they get selected for Scotland or for England or whatever yeah. the case might be. So, but I think from a South African point of view, we're going to play, probably, play in the, in the Pro 16. Yes. Um, because they've, they've uh, announced that, obviously, the, the go-ahead was given to the four Super Rugby sites. Um, so we'd be exposed to that in any case. And, and our youngsters just want to play rugby it's a career for them um, we have got a lot of talent in, in South Africa so the thing is now just to look after them and make sure they don't play for other countries it is that will bring us to the end of our show tonight so Don yourself and, and Jack thanks for for joining us uh, it's always nice chatting rugby with with players and with coaches specifically um, and for you guys, thank you. And we'll see you in, in studio next week again for your sons, Donald. So thank you for that. It's a pleasure. Donald, thank you very much. Jack, thank you. No, thanks, guys. Thanks appreciate you guys coming in and sharing with us. It's a pleasure. Then from Touchline, from ourselves, Kasper Els and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week.